morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. Let's dive right into it. I'm very excited, as promised in yesterday's Patreon post, as of the day I'm recording this, we are going to be getting back to some of the more fundamental basics in which actually helped, uh, you could say, uh, so many people relate to this channel. And we will be saving more of the advanced concepts and fundamentals, if you will, for an advanced tier, which will be established within the next 48 hours uh, as of the time I'm recording this, probably as of the time many of you will be watching or listening to this. And I thank all of you so very much. I've, been take, I've taken the last few weeks to gather as much of your feedback as possible. And that's what I've decided to do moving forward. And I think we've established enough data points, if you will, to create, if you will, a ripple in the uh, in the on the member side of things, a positive ripple pertaining to those that want to delve more into the nuts and bolts science angle of it can select a particular tier, whereas other ones that just want to sort of get right down to the nitty gritty, you know, basics, uh, you know, Dave, get right to the point type scenario can also just continue on the tier that everyone is currently on. So with that said, today's episode is actually a little bit of a deep dive and a little bit of a you could say a summation in a couple different regards. And you'll see what I mean by that. But today's title is the grays first impressions and I mean something a little different than some of you may think by that the magnetic core and everything in between and in brackets AI the other rabbit hole and egregores and you'll see how we'll be correlating all of that shortly now before we get into the main concept of what we're going to be looking at here and delving into let's start I figured let's take it right back to some of the basics that a lot of people really liked about this channel and I couldn't agree more by the way with respects to the visuals. Let's flip through some of the alleged, whether this these are experiences people have had in their dreams, astral projection, lucid dreams, um, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to particularly attribute a certain verbiage or label to this, but even in, in the physical world, if you will, when people are awake, these are some of the different faces, structures, um, you know, head shapes that people have seen of these greys, different eyes, all of that. Now, I do not mean to liken the greys to that of a malevolent nor benevolent intention. I want to be very clear here. That's not the point. But ultimately, let's take a look at this photograph here as well. Now, of course, yes, these are sketches, but these are some of the, I've, what I've done here is put together some of the most commonly reported sightings that seem to be viewed, if you will in this manner pertaining to the greys. A lot of times there seems to be an insectoid being behind the greys signifying and giving the initial impression, hence the the uh, placing the title first, the words first impression in the title, that the insectoid is superior or there's some type of control structure that the insectoid has a stature above these grays, irregardless of the size, the weight, you name it. Now, we can also see over here, excuse me, that these are also some alleged reportings as well of different types of grays, different, you know, head shapes, different noses, different chin sizes, different mouths, you know, different uh, forehead, um, we could say, right over here, as we say, different forehead indents, all of this. We apparently some of them do not have vocal cords, allegedly some of them that do have vocal cords, uh, whenever they speak, they sound like, um, Forgive me for lack of a better example, uh, 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 unfortunately a dying horse or a dying bear. Some of them have the sound of a dolphin, allegedly, vocally, when they do try and, you know, say, say, say something with their mouth. So, and then of course we have the usual, you know, different height, we have the tall greys. Uh, it's been alleged that particularly by uh, gentlemen such as Clifford, Staff Sergeant Clifford Stone and Colonel Corso that they were not necessarily called the greys back in the day. But anyways, let's jump, uh, let's move on. So the reason I put first impression in the title, folks, is because let's take a look 
from a psychological perspective of what we mean by the first impression, and I'll explain very quickly what what we're why we're delving into that. So. In psychology, according to Wikipedia, a first impression is the event when one person first encounters another person and forms a mental image of that person. Now, let's keep in mind, before we go on, that if we were to follow the concept of, and I hate to use this word so avidly, but a simulation theory or something like this of, of some kind, or something where our reality has been spliced or butchered as to whether or not that is malevolent or benevolent or neither is not for this episode. Again, one could argue that's about having to grow in a sovereign sense that has nothing to do with some type of control structure placed over top of us in a esoteric sense, you name it. But the mental image in which we produce is in fact the information structure that neurologically our photonic receptors from our eyes send to our nervous system via different synapses and electromagnetic and electric impulses throughout the nervous system that then tell the organic bioreceptive or bioreceptors, if you will, and all the other things in our body that I don't claim to know about in detail, that we are seeing what we are seeing. In other words, the information structure is a projector, like in a movie theater. The projector is telling us this is what you're seeing, and our minds go, oh, okay, but we are only seeing something to the extent in which we can relate it psychologically with respects to patterns, and we've seen this before. What is, why are humans so interested in routines, ones that really want to, you could say, become more successful at a particular task in their life, whether it's the financial, whether it's going to the gym, you name it. By definition, whether one wants to call it a routine or not, one gets into a routine in order to adjust the body spiritually, mentally, physically to the task in which you're trying to continue, uh, contribute more to and focus on more so. This is what happens in real time, in less than a split second, phononically and photonically, when we see something visually. That is the, the comprising of the information structure that is being sent into our eyes. And again, the information structure appears as this. Now, this is not to say this is correct nor incorrect, but the reason I bring this up is because we'll see here. First impressions are based on a wide range of characteristics, race, culture, language, gender, physical appearance, accent, posture, voice, number of people present, economic status, and time allowed to process. The question becomes, what happens if you're in a state of slow time or sped up time when viewing or interacting with some of these grays, whether in the quote-unquote physical world or the quote-unquote real world or in the dream world or in the lucid world? How do we know the difference? And you may be saying, Dave, hold on a second. You're, you're kind of confusing me here. What, what are you trying to get at? Well, if we scroll down right over here and we head to the neuroscience aspect, okay, of first impressions, we see that first impressions are formed within milliseconds of seeing a target. When intentionally forming a first impression, encoding relies on the dorsomedial prefrontal cortex. Hmm. Interesting. Almost like something is giving, is feeding our prefrontal cortex with some type of impression. I am not saying that is correct nor incorrect. The question is, where is the feeding coming from? Is it coming from the greys themselves when we interact with them or when we approach them or when we just so happen to be, say, on a walk in a national park or in a, a you know a national forest, something like this, and we interact with them? What's occurring there in that regard? Now, we see here, of course, you may be saying, Dave, that's a little bit conspiratorial. Well, we see here that when forming immediate impressions based on emotion, the stimulus can bypass the neocortex by the way of the 
amygdala hijack. And that is an emotional response that is immediate, overwhelming, and out of measure with, with the actual stimulus because it has triggered a much more significant emotional threat. Kind of like the news these days, but let's put that aside for a second. Now, again, this speaks to something called ement, which is called emotional intelligence, but let's stay on track. Is this what's occurring with respects to the greys? Now, I say that. Why? Because... Let's take a look here, for example, I've pre-prepared a stick person. Let's say this stick person on this drawing board represents humanity, okay? And here's what's interesting about all of this. If we take a look at the way in which an impression is formed, based on the definitions we just read, an impression is formed about one thing, based on humans by measurement and visualization of this black line. Now, let's change the color. Say the black line is your first impression of a, um, of a sports game. Say this red line is your first impression of being in a car. Say this green line is your first impression of being, I don't know, on a plane. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Each color represents a different time in your life in which you experienced that initial first impression. It is very difficult very difficult not not impossible I, again because if it was impossible we wouldn't many of you would probably not be on the patreon and you probably wouldn't even be following what i'm trying to say and i wouldn't be here right now if it was not possible to reverse this but it is possible to take all of those impressions and go right back to the the beginning and say to yourself let's drop everything i've ever learned not in a negative sense but in a sense of questioning an outside of the box apparatus and i say that because that's what we have to do when applied to the grays here. And you might say, Dave, well, what do you mean by that? Well, okay. This is stealthskater.com slash documents slash burrish underscore 24.pdf. We covered this a handful of months ago. And this has to do with Mr. Bill Uhouse, the Atomic Energy Commission, and Linda Moulton Howe, who we had on the show recently. This was a 2002 interview, if I'm not mistaken, with Mr. Bill Hamilton discussing what Mr. Bill Uhouse also had talked about on video testimony. I want to be very clear. This is, this is all out there for those on the Patreon. If you would like to see the video testimony, by all means, you're more than welcome to message me. I am not stating that Mr. Burrish, Mr. Uhouse, Mr. Hamilton are completely correct in their personal opinions and their claimed, uh, we could say, experiences when working at Los Alamos, working at S4 and all of this. The reason I bring this up is because Bill Uhouse had interacted with Edward Teller and with a being called J-Rod. Now, I know this is nothing new. We've covered this many times before, the J-Rod, the Grey. We're not going to focus on that. We're not going to focus on what he looks like. Again, this is page 10. Very quickly, for those that are new to the channel, this is a sketch, allegedly, of what the Grey looked like, give or take three to four feet in height. And it's interesting because you'll find shortly something that will even substantiate this in an open-source, intelligence manner. Now, if we go back... To, let's go to page 10 over here. What we will find, okay, right over here, is that allegedly these grays are from the Zeta Reticuli binary star system, Zeta Reticuli 1, Zeta Reticuli 2. Now, this is when it gets quite peculiar. I think it would be quite unfair to make an immediate judgment as to the benevolent, malevolent, or neutral intent of these beings because... I would dare to say, and you'll see why I say this in a moment, that the greys 
people say the grays are AI. Well, okay, let's take that one step deeper. What does that mean? I think they're like iPhones. And what do I mean by that? I think they're like this. I think the vast majority of grays, perhaps not all of them, because who am I to say, but I think the vast majority of them are like when we head into a, an Apple store and pick out the, 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 the newest iPhone or a variation of one of the new ones or one of the recent ones or something like this, because your phone plan is up, you know, the whole thing. And we say, okay, do you want the one with the four and a half inch screen? You want the one with the home button, the one without the home button? It comes down to preference and purpose, right? Which is also giving you an initial first impression that you then revisit and say, okay, I remember in 2007 when I got the first iPhone, and if we jump back to the sketchboard here very quickly, say the green line, let's just, just making it up, represents when you got your first iPhone. What you're doing now is you are then going back to remind yourself, hold on, my old iPhone is gone, I need to reinvigorate my initial impression of the newer model of the iPhone right? I think the grays are just like iPhones with respects to some other, whether human or non-human entity, selecting what type of assistance they would like based on their tasks, based on their preference, based on many different things, right? Everyone's different. I don't see why this would be any uh, different, no pun intended in that regard. Now, allegedly, there are in fact malevolent ones that are that constantly deceive and that claim to try and alter certain timelines. Now, according to Dr. Burrish, the EBINs, which stands for extraterrestrial biological entities, are here to try to alter our timelines, our future. The reason for that is that they, according to him, fantastic as it sounds, they travel in time. So they already know, or they know as a memory, what happened here. There is a coming catastrophe that drastically reduces the population of the Earth and splits the Earth into two populations. And these two populations, isolated from each other, evolve from what we know as Homo sapiens into two different species. Now, again, when we talk about there being a catastrophe, could this be the normal reset cycle every 12 to 13,000 years that the planet allegedly goes through, if you will, and how many times over it's gone through that, who's to say? Are they using that cycle as a justification and rationalization for a lie in order to sort of, I don't know, perhaps use us as a laboratory, if you will? And I know that is a negatively oriented way to view it, but at the end of the day, based on a lot of the malevolent experiences, particularly back from the 1940s all the way up until the um, 1990s, early 2000s, there were a vast majority of non-peaceful abductions committed by a lot of greys that look similar to the illustrations we have here. So again, make of that as you will. Now, the question also becomes, when we go over here, is that, as Linda Moulton Howe asked, are you saying that they know from our past timeline that there have been asteroid and cometary destructions of Earth, and they have gone into the future and see another similar destruction? Mr. Uhouse, uh, excuse me, Mr. Hamilton says, what I'm saying is that they evolved in our future according to the doctrine of the convergent timelines. I would kindly recommend a lot of you to search up the Kaluza-Klein theory if you're interested in delving deeper into this, specifically the convergent timelines angle. In other words, they come from our future and they have traveled backwards to our past, our current present. They're coming back because they're trying to prevent some sort of catastrophe, Linda asks. Mr. Hamilton says they're trying to alter the timeline. Yes, apparently whatever genetic traits this J-Rod inherited, they're suffering from some kind of defective gene which has caused neural degeneration in their system or what Dr. Burrish calls a peripheral neuropathy. In fact, Dan was given the task of looking into the possibility of genetic reverse engineering to repair the extraterrestrial biological entity's de degenerate system. Now, 
Here's what's interesting. They talk about how this catastrophe was going to be around, give or take, the year 2012 and all of this. But when we take a look at the way in which these greys allegedly feed themselves, what we'll find here is this right here. Worldwide animal mutilations. Linda asks, how would animal mutilations play into all of this? Mr. Hamilton says, the only thing I could determine, and let's also be fair to Mr. Let's play devil's advocate. This is the only thing Mr. Hamilton could determine. That doesn't mean that, you know, just because that's the only thing he could determine, everything's all said and done. Okay, time to go home, folks. You know, job is done, investigation over. No. But he claims there's something in the food formula that these greys use because they no longer ingest food through their mouths and they take it through the alimentary canal to digest it. Instead... They absorb the nutrients through their skin. Linda asks, is this something Mr. Burrish has confirmed he has knowledge of? Mr. Hamilton says, yes, in fact, he even gave me a name for the process. I don't recall what it was. Linda Moultonhouse says, so this old story from the 1980s about a gray species of non-humans painting their skins with blood and tissue from animals to absorb it is, supposed, is, is supposedly true, according to Mr. Burrish. Mr. Hamilton says, yes, not only Dan Burrish, but also other sources have given me this very same information, including a retired Marine sergeant who was active in crash retrievals. It's possible that could have been Staff Sergeant Clifford Stone. Let's not make any conclusions. Again, I'm just speculating. Linda says, what did he say? Mr. Hamilton says, he said the same thing, but he called it osmosis. When I mentioned osmosis to Dan, who's a microbiologist, Dan Burrish, he said, that is not exactly the process. Then he gave it a name. I'm sorry that I wasn't prepared and did not write it down because it was technical. I'll have to ask him again. Linda Moulton Howe asks, is it your impression from the military man and Dan Burrish that the collecting or harvesting of the tissue and fluid from animals around the world for half a century or more is a kind of food gathering process for these beings? Mr. Hamilton says, apparently, the hemo hemoglobin is used in that formula that they use for nutrition that they put on their skin linda asks linda uh, mr hamilton says right linda then says quite aptly and intelligently this would be another reason why these particular ets could not mix with human civilization very easily mr hamilton says that's true also at least the j-rod kind needs to breathe in a different atmosphere almost like the hydrogen and oxidization of that hydrogen is quite significant, isn't it? Now, what's interesting is that, again, as Dan Winters has brought up many, long before even Dan and I got involved in doing collaborations together so, so uh, graciously, Planck times golden ratio equals the exact radius or radii of hydrogen on a theoretical basis when you do calculations on paper. Interesting that we see hydrogen, the oxidization of this constantly reoccurring. The question becomes, okay, what's, again, why is this so significant? Well, I don't think the greys ever left. I think they're just becoming more prominently noticed by that of, you could say, human neurological form constants, or what we could call egregores. When humans focus on something, whether it's real or fake, it becomes real. By definition, your belief becomes your reality. Now, the question becomes, why, Dave, why are you saying that? Well, if someone or a handful of people put an intent or a thought form into the quote-unquote ether, what would normally come of that? What, what would occur in a particular regard? Well, you would have this idea that there would be an initiative to try and contact some of these greys if this was all not, if this wasn't secret, right? Kind of like the Arecibo message that we sent out, 
I believe in the 1970s or 80s, if I'm not mistaken, which was the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence uh, Institution, if I'm not mistaken again. We sent out everything that comprised our, you know, our population, our DNA, what we're made out of, our height, you name it. And we received in response this in binary. We sent it out in binary, then we received this in binary. Now, here's what's interesting. We are made of carbon. This binary message stated that they were made of silicon. There's a difference. Now, what's interesting about all of this is that when you look at the different forms of what is called random access memory, we see here, is a form of computer memory that can be read and changed in any order, typically used to store working data and machine code. You'll find here that silicon, metal oxide silicon, is extremely prevalent in the random access memory solid state drives that succeeded that of the, you could say, uh, direct access memory like CD-ROMs or, um, you know, re uh, read-only memory, you name it. Now, here's what's interesting. The invention of the MOSFET, the Metal Oxide Semiconductor Field Effect Transistor, also known as the MOS Transistor, by Mohammed M. Atala and Dawan Kong at Bell Labs, there's Bell Labs again, in 1959, led to the development of metal oxide semiconductor memory by John Schmidt at the Fairchild Semiconductor in 1964. Now, here's what's interesting. If we go up here, we'll find that the first practical form of random access memory was the Williams tube, starting in 1947, the same year Roswell occurred. It stored data as electrically charged spots on the face of a cathode ray tube. Since the electron beam of the cathode ray tube could read and write the spots on the tube in any order, memory was random access. The capacity of the Williams tube was a few hundred to around a thousand bits. But it was much smaller, faster, and more power efficient than using individual vacuum tube latches. Hmm. Which then leads us to magnetic core memory. We see here, look at the image of it. It was invented in 1947 and developed up until the mid-1970s. It became a widespread form of random access memory, relying on an array of magnetized rings. Why would that be obsolete these days? Again, it's been stated that, you know, there's something much better and we all this and that. But again, should we dismiss that statement that institutions within STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, say we have much better things, better than magnetic core memory? Maybe, I'm sure we do. But why don't we revisit this, this particular highlighted paragraph, the same way we have been revisiting the thoughts of, again, giving an, a, a reignite, a, you could say a reignition to our first impression of things, if that makes sense, right? So we see over here, again, that an integrated bipolar static random access memory, SRAM, was invented by Robert H. Norman at Fairchild Semiconductor in 1963. Hmm. It was followed by the development of MOS, which is, again, the metal oxide semiconductor RAM by John Schmidt at Fairchild in 1964. 
SRAM became an alternative to magnetic core memory, but required six MOS transistors for each bit of data. Now, I'm not going to go down this particular rabbit hole, but the idea of, again, six, the number 666, the 369 being that of, you could say, a tool, an egregorical tool. It is not bad or not good. It depends on the way in which the user leans it, if you will. Now, the reason I bring all of this up, folks, the reason I want to bring all of this up is because we see here, according to the sun.co.uk, Georgian-era UFO Westminster sighting found in Royal Society Journal from 1746. To me, this speaks to the idea that there hasn't been much of a change in the overall grand scheme cycles of humanity, but rather a repetition. And these greys have always played a part. Why do I say that? Well, again, not to jump too all over the place, but if MOS, the metal oxide semiconductor field effect transistor, is so out of date and, you know, this magnetic angle of things is, is not good and all of that, why is it we look at a paper, again, we're using the same paper uh, by Charles Lieber, Nanobioelectronics. This is a very in-depth paper. There's a lot to be learned of from here. We see here, I just searched up the word oxide. We see here, single layers of graphene oxide, the gate electrode. Again, innovative nanoscale combing technique that we looked at on the previous, I believe, limited hangout episode, right? We see here that the naturally grown oxide layer on the silicon nanowires can be used as the gate oxide. Now, we have oxide searched up. Let's search up silicon. Hmm. S-I-N-W stands for silicon nanowires. Again, we see a form of this type of mergence relative to what we were looking at pertaining to uh, uh, right over here, which was the Linda Moulton Howe, Bill Hamilton interview. Right now, there are, again, also other grays that look like this, too. It's been alleged that they can sort of uh, jump in and out of these shells. Again, these iPhones, if you want to call it, and the software of the iPhone, as we're seeing on the visual here in a more loose gaseous form, would be what we call plasma, perhaps. So again, I want to leave you folks with a, with a, a very, you could say, interesting view on the greys and in this regard. It's one thing to say the greys are AI, but it's another thing to say, let's take it one step further and ask ourselves if we take a reapproach on a lot of things in our lives and apply it to that of the greys and apply it to the way humans tend to behave with, uh, excuse me, neurological, with egregores or neurological form constants. Could it be quite possible that the greys, in fact, some of them may in fact be disguised as humans? Again, and I, I say that because all we need to do is take academic papers like these and scale them up. This is being done on the nano level. What happens if it's done on a level that, again, is more relatable, viewable, and interactable with you and I? You would probably have something like a gray. So, with that said, folks, I would like to thank you all so very kindly. Oh, actually, you know what? One last thing. Forgive me. The gaseous precursor is transported by a carrier gas, typically argon or hydrogen. You know what's interesting about argon or hydrogen? Again, Planck times golden ratio equals the radii or radius of hydrogen, as Dan Winter speaks on publicly so often. But we see here, typically argon. Hmm. 
didn't Bob Lazar claim that at S4 there was an argon or argone, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, gas liquid? In which allegedly Mr. Bill Hamilton and, and Mr. Bill Uhouse and Dan Burrish worked on in the clean sphere at Los Alamos and S4? So again, make of that as you will. And we find over here too in this paper, with respects to what we've talked about so avidly with the pine cones kissing. Take a look at this. Does this not seem like the pine cones kissing relative to the proclaimed atomic percentage reactant within this particular experiment and temperature and, and confined vicinity? Having to do again with silicon nanowires. It, it's the evidence in my humble perspective folks has been right in front of us the question becomes can we compile it in a manner that is most accurate to what has allegedly occurred so thank you very much folks i appreciate the um the the patience and please let me know what you think of this episode cheers <laughs>